Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and there's Jerry Rowland over there. And it's the McDonald Triad. Stuff You Should Know. The McDonald Triad. What's that? Really? I'm just... I'm Wow, you are spacey today. I'm we spacey. literally talked about it 10 minutes ago. Oh, that. Yeah. Oh, sorry. You know, bedwetting, fire starting, harming animals. Yeah, I was thinking of... I call fire starting. I call bedwetting. All right, Jerry's an animal harmer. <laughs> um, well, we know that's not true. Uh, <laughs> I was... The first thing I thought of was a McDonald's because I am totally spacey today. And plus you could probably use the McDonald's right now, I'll bet. Well, I already ate, but if I hadn't have eaten ramen, mm-hmm. I could have totally partied on a on a quarter pounder. Quarter pounder, definitely not a Big Mac, right? I don't do Big Macs. It's the sauce. It's a weirdo sauce. Yeah, just I don't I don't do it. And I, you know, you I'm don't gonna... need another third piece of bread. No, it is a great standard of measure, though, isn't it? What do you mean, Big Macs? You know, this oh, is like sure, yeah, X Big Macs of calories right. or something. <laughs> it's a unit of measure here in America. I don't think I've I ever had it. a Big Mac in my life. I've had like maybe one, maybe two. Yeah, I've pretty much learned my lesson the first time. Yeah, I'm a quarter pounder guy. I like quarter pounders, but really, there's nothing better than just their plain old double cheeseburger. Oh, just their little smash burger. But the double cheeseburger, mm-hmm. and there's a difference. They have a double cheeseburger and a Mick double. Did you know that? From what yeah, I can discern, what I can discern, the only difference is the double cheeseburger has two slices of cheese. The McDouble has one. Everything else is the same. Where's the one piece of cheese? Why would you even sell it like that? That's weird. It doesn't make any sense. You could say uh, McDouble with just one slice of cheese. The please. McStupid is what they should say. Call like, it. yeah, pull forward and hang your head in shame, and we'll give you your stupid sandwich. I'm gonna go to McDonald's and order a McDLT. Remember those? Oh, yeah. The hot side hot and the cool side cool, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you could like fold the little styrofoam uh-huh. container. Which, I mean, it kind of makes sense because even though I don't do the big garden on the burger anyway, mm-hmm. part of the reason I don't is because I don't like hot, soggy lettuce. Right. So the McDLT would solve that. It would. But it was really just like, here's even more styrofoam. Yeah. And like, yes, it was terrible for the earth, but. That was like the look of my youth. You know what I'm the saying? The McDLT? Yeah. Well, no, the styrofoam containers oh, that yeah. everything came in. Yeah. Everything. Like their cinnamon roll used to come in a styrofoam container, for God's sake. Yeah, you'd be like, can I have a pack of salt? And they'd put it in a styrofoam <laughs> container. <laughs> yes, they would. <laughs> yeah. All right. That was uh, – got some big McDonald's dollars coming our way now. So I want to paint a picture for you, Chuck. Let's say you owned a McDonald's franchise here in town. Uh, okay. And uh, you decided that you wanted your uh, your daughter mm-hmm. to take over the business. Sure. If you just said, okay, I'm ready to retire. It's your turn now. Come on in. I'll see you later. Good luck. Mm-hmm. You would not be doing what's known as nepotism right. You'd be doing okay. it wrong. Uh-huh. There's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. Yeah. But either way, what you're engaged in is nepotism. Yeah, they say. Wait, I've really pulled that one out. Yeah. Okay. Of your butt? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I didn't know if you meant pulled it off or pulled it out of your butt. I meant pulled it off. Okay. You did very well. Nice transition for the nepotism. That's all I was looking for. <laughs> uh, yeah, they do say, I mean, some experts will say, if you do have a family business and you want to eventually 
hand that over to your kids. If, right. you, if you really want to do that the right way, have them work outside the industry or in that industry maybe for another company for a while. Yes. Gain some experience outside your own company because it can be very problematic to the other employees when that happens because – even if they're qualified, there's a bit of a target sometimes on their back. There's, Yeah, it's unfair to them. It's unfair to the other employees. It mm-hmm. says a lot about you, too. It sends signals, whether you mean it or not. Yeah. It sends signals that you're insecure in your leadership and you need yeah, to surround sure. yourself with people who you know will generally agree with you. Yeah. And even if they don't agree with you, you are bringing them in in a position where they really owe you a favor. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of uh, opportunity for people to be like, this person's not even qualified for this position. I'm more qualified. I'm just not their son or daughter. Right. This is BS. And then it also has a a real um, chilling effect on morale around the company, too, Mm -hmm. where it's like no matter what I do or how good I am, I'm never going to get ahead because this this employer, this boss is into nepotism and I'm not related to him. So I might as well just quit or go somewhere else or milk the clock. Yeah, I mean, this this can go take so many forms. Like, it is a time-honored tradition to start a small family business <clears throat> to pass along to your children. Mm-hmm. Like, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. Right. But then there's also the scenario where, you know, mom and dad start a business and the son's off gambling and and living up, tripping the lights fantastic, painting the town brown. Yeah, basically acting like Oscar Wilde or something. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then it's just handed the keys to the kingdom, right? And they run it into the ground. But that that happens. Yeah, there's a saying: the first generation starts the business, mm-hmm. the second generation carries on the business, the third generation ruins the business. We grow the seed. Mm-hmm. We nature. No, we plant the seed. Right. Nature grows the seed. Sure. We sow the seed. Where did you just make that up? I think that was uh sounds like a hippie t shirt. The young ones. With like Coco Pelli on it or something. <laughs> if I would have done it in my young ones accent, you probably would have Did you the watch y- that? The young one yeah, the British T V mm-hmm. show? That how was that on the young ones? Uh what, that saying? Was it like a, a recurring thing or No, I think it was just in one episode. It just stands out to me. <laughs> wow, well, I guess so. I love the young ones. I haven't seen that in a while. I'm sure there are like eight people that heard that and were like, Oh my god. Right, yeah. Young ones riff. So there is a there is a right way to do nepotism, mm-hmm. but f- for the most part, especially in America, especially in modern Western society, uh, nepotism is largely frowned upon by the the general population. But like you said, it's it's time honored. It's age old, mm-hmm. and there's this great article that we're working from um, by the Grabster who basically says, like, you can make the case that nepotism is what civilization was originally built on. Yeah. And that that's that really what you're seeing, this disregard or dis, this dislike or disdain for nepotism, is actually a tension between a meritocracy and nepotism, which are essentially uh, two opposite sociopolitical sides of the same coin. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it's interesting, too. I had no idea that in the animal, uh, in in biology, in the animal kingdom, that they actually refer to animal behaviors as, like, things like natural selection as nepotism. Yeah, like kin selection, where you will go out of the way. We had a great podcast on that. We did. I couldn't remember if we actually did it or not. We did, huh? We did it. Okay. We did it. Good. Uh, But they will talk about, uh, in the animal kingdom, things like, um, like a squirrel 
is more likely, let's say, to give a warning call. Like a caw caw Or a, whatever a squirrel does. That was a squirrel. Oh, okay. Um, to give a warning call of, an, of a, a predator approaching mm-hmm. if they're near family members. And if there are no family members around, they're kind of like, what else? Whatever. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Which proves your point that squirrels are jerks. Right. See you in hell, Todd. And they only, can, they only think about their own. Right. So, family-wise. But that is what – if you're a wildlife biologist, you would call that uh, nepotism. Yeah. Okay. So there is a – this. there's a, actually a, a an equation for it. Yeah. Take it away. Okay. Because <laughs> I looked at that. And you're talking about the, the Hamilton rule? Yes. But I got, you know, my eyes kind of glazed over. It's tough. Hopefully we won't go down a false positives rabbit hole yeah. like we did in that episode. Yeah. But there's this guy, Mr. Hamilton – Mm-hmm. Dr. Hamilton to us. There's a million things he hasn't done. And uh, what, his name was William D. Hamilton. This is from the 60s. This struck me as it would like it would have been old, but whatever. He's a technocrat biologist. And he basically said there there is a formula for calculating why an animal would do something that seems altruistic. And it right. has to do with nepotism or kin selection. And this equation is R times B is greater than C. Done. Okay. <laughs> we want to just stop there? Did we talk about this in kin selection? We had to have, right? I don't think so, man. It does not seem— How do we miss I it? I think we talked about it without ever saying the the name of it and the formula itself. Okay. We okay. just danced around it. Basically, so just real quick, R is the um, genetic relatedness of mm-hmm. the, the person doing the altruistic act and the person benefiting. B is the benefit of it. Mm-hmm. And then it, that has to be, so th- multiply those two things, and that would be, it has to be greater than C, which is the cost. So the little worker bees and the worker mm-hmm. ants that know, hey, I'm never going to rise to the top here. Right. But I'm going to bust my butt for the queen mm-hmm. because everyone else will benefit from it. So that, so for each worker bee, the cost would be one. They're one. They're going to die. Mm-hmm. They're not going to be able to reproduce and pass on genes. But they're related to the queen, say, by sharing fifty percent of their genes. Right. And the queen is going to go on and make ten thousand new bees. Mm-hmm. So you've got ten thousand times point five is the left hand of the equation, and that is way way greater than cost, which is one. Right. So therefore, Hamilton's rule would apply in that circumstance. It seems dumb to me. I think that there's way more going on in life than that. Yeah. I don't think you can boil animal behavior down to a formula, especially such a simple formula. I mean, sigma doesn't even appear in this formula. It's that simple, right? Yeah. We can read this formula. It's that simple. <laughs> yeah, I almost got it. It's that simple. So I think it's reductive, I think, is what I'm trying to say, which is a, le- a word I just picked up recently. You've been throwing it around a lot. I've heard it before, but it's really <laughs> kind of made sense yeah. to me lately. So I think that it's a reductive formula, and I, uh, I dismay the the use of it. All right. Uh, this I found super interesting is the origins of the word itself. Sometimes word origins are kind of cool like this. Well, you're big time into it, aren't you? Yeah, when it, you know, sometimes it'll it'll light my fire. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like the McDonald triad. <laughs> uh, but it has the Latin root nepos, N-E-P-O-S, which means nephew. And this came about because of Catholic priests who, as everyone knows, aren't supposed to make sex. So they don't. Not always. Oh, okay. Sometimes they do, and sometimes they have children, 
And in order to promote their sons, uh, they without, would— Without having to say, yeah, like, this is my son. <laughs> exactly. They would call them their nephew, and that's where it actually—that's where the, the root nepos means nephew. That's where it comes from. Yeah, I saw somewhere, I think in uh, Adam—so you know Saul Bellows, the writer? Yeah, yeah. His son Adam wrote a very, very long article in The Atlantic in the early 2000s arguing in favor of nepotism, mm-hmm. I think unsuccessfully. But <clears throat> I think he said one of the remaining definitions of nephew is an illegitimate son of a Catholic priest. Oh, really? Still today. Huh. Isn't that weird? Yeah, and then the three types uh, that that the grabster— I like to liken it to the Corleone family. Okay. Um, self-determined, coercive, and opportunistic. So self-determined being when you take a family – a job a family member offers because it aligns with your own career goals, which would be Sonny. That's a that's pretty ideal. Sonny Corleone. Oh, oh, I got you. I thought you meant Sonny like great. Sonny days. <laughs> uh, coercive nepotism is when you take a job because you feel forced into it, which is clearly Michael. Michael. Uh, and then opportunistic, which is I don't feel pressured and I I just take take the job because it's the easiest path, which is Fredo through Man, and through. That really works. It really does. Nice job. Interesting. I mean, it stood out to me like a sore thumb. Sure. It did not stick out like a sore thumb to me. That's really something. Yeah. Okay. How about that? You want to take a break? Yeah, and I might just leave. Okay. <laughs> Drop your mic. <laughs> All right. See ya. Okay, everybody, I talked Chuck into staying for the rest of the episode during the ad break. I'm here. So um, you've got the definition of nepotism Mm -hmm. in the biological sense. There's also the sociological sense, which we kind of touched on in in the workplace. Wait, we still haven't even said what nepotism is, just like we do. Oh, really? Yep. Oh, okay. Well, so nepotism is basically (laughs) doling out favors, typically jobs. Yeah. By a person in a position of power to people who are their relatives. Yes. There's another very, very closely related um, thing called cronyism, Mm -hmm. which is doing the same thing but handing it out to people who are friends or friends of friends and building a a network, whether it's a business or a political institution or whatever, where there are favors done, reciprocal favors owed, and you have this very dense web that overlays that company or that overlays that institution. Yeah. It makes it very tough for outsiders to get into. Yeah. Which is why a nepotism, nepotism is the opposite of a meritocracy. A meritocracy is you are good at this job. This job is open. Yeah. We want you to come fill it. Instead, with nepotism, you say, we've got this position open. Um, let's get my nephew meaning my illegitimate son in here, mm-hmm. because I want him to prosper in life and this position will enrich him. Yeah, it's a really tricky thing because, you know, you want to do friends and family favors. Right. Uh, but it's a slippery slope. If they're not qualified, even if they are, it's, you know, it has it's just, it has an ugly connotation to it. Mm-hmm. But myself, I would be like, yeah, I want to 
want to hook up my friends and family. Right. And I want to be hooked up. Right. So you kind of you kind of hit it, man. It seems to me from everybody, and I don't necessarily agree with this, but it seems like everybody says it's not going anywhere. No. The best you can hope for is a healthy mix. Mm-hmm. And I guess it seems like a healthy mix is the best way to do it because you don't want a pure meritocracy because what you end up with is an institution that has all brains and no heart. Whereas mm-hmm. if you have the opposite side, the other side of like the spectrum, pure nepotism, yeah. you have lots of heart but no brains. Right. So you want a mixture of the two. Yeah. And in one of the places where nepotism has traditionally been frowned upon here in the US is in government. Like we basically say you go do whatever you want in your own business. Run it however you like. Even a publicly traded company that started out as a family company will sometimes still have yeah. a family member running the show. But with government, we we say no. Nobody can do anything nepotistic in government. We've said it from the outset, and we've also broken that rule from the outset too. It's a longstanding American tradition to include nepotism in government. Yeah, whether or not you're John F. Kennedy and you <laughs> say, well, I'm going to make Bobby my attorney general. Even, Even though, though he has no law experience. Right. That or was, was if you're Ted Kennedy. <laughs> the, the current, what do you say? That was a great Ted Kennedy. And, but not John F. Kennedy. No. <laughs> or if, uh, you know, the current president giving his, his daughter and uh, son-in-law positions on his White House staff, which I thought this was interesting. Mm-hmm. The, um, the law, um, as far as doing that, after John F. Kennedy appointed his brother as U.S. Attorney General, there was a law passed, federal law, saying you cannot appoint a family member to an important position. Yeah. But in 2017, the DOJ said a president can appoint uh, a family member to their own personal White House staff. Right. But after FOIA documents uh, were released in 2017, uh, Freedom of Information Act, we learned that since the Nixon administration, uh, you could not even appoint White House staff and it's kind of uh, was in it was overruled. There was a reversal of this. And was it to allow Trump to do that? I think it was just a reversal of the pattern, not like they said, OK, we'll reverse our ruling. There was just a history of, of the DOJ ruling against nepotism in White House staff. No, it says the, the January 2017 mm-hmm. ruling was a reversal. Right. A reversal of the pattern since Nixon, I think, is what they're saying. Oh, it says reversal of the policy. So I I thought they literally changed the rule. Mm -hmm. So what I saw is that the ruling against it Mm -hmm. is actually counter to the tradition of the president's picking his advisors without any input or oversight from Congress. Gotcha. Like the, the government, the president's advisors are supposed to be the president's own picks and whether it's family or not. T.S., that's the president's own picks. That apparently is the way that it's always been. But then since Nixon, they started shooting down that idea. Right. And the, the reason we're talking about politics now is because it's one of the clearer examples of um, how it can go wrong. <clears throat> because the reason nepotism is so harmful in politics is because the we're set up in a way in this country in such a way, supposedly, to have a system of checks and balances to where no one person is above the law. Right. And obviously, if you fill positions with family members, the rule of law and the good of the country is 
has a very good chance of coming in second place to protecting your family member. Yeah. So one of the one of the explanations I saw was that <clears throat> the reason nepotism is bad for democracy mm-hmm. is when you have people working in a democracy, in the actual government of the democracy, those people are supposed to be defenders of that democracy and loyal to the democracy, yes. not loyal to the person in power. Right. Nepotism inverts that yeah. to where the people who are running the show are loyal to the person in power, not the institution. Yeah. So what you're seeing again right there is a tension between the meritocracy where mm-hmm. you have people who are loyal and dedicated to the institution and nepotism where you have people who are loyal and dedicated to the person in power who's doling out the jobs. And the reason that's bad for democracy is the people who owe their job to that person Mm -hmm. in a very direct manner um, may look the other way on wrongdoing. They may also not be qualified for the job, so they may not even be aware that there's stuff that they're supposed to be loyal to that they're not being loyal to. Um, like in the institution. There's a lot of pitfalls and pratfalls to nepotism as a as a general rule of thumb in a presidency. Yeah, and I know I brought it up before, but it still makes me laugh every time I think of Jared Kushner taking his first tour of the White House after the election when he was meeting all the people. <laughs> and he said, hey, everyone's so nice. You know, how many of these people are staying on? <laughs> They're like, nobody. They well, worked for President Obama. Right. That's not how this works. And a, I and get. Know, oh. <laughs> is he is he like a Democrat or was he a Democrat originally? I don't know. I saw back in like an article from 2015 or 16 and he said um, he was asked if he would be voting for Hillary or for Trump. And he said family first. And they said, well, there's pretty good reason why why he was given this position of power. He's very loyal to family. Sure. Apparently when his dad was in jail for tax fraud, he went and visited him every week. And if you are if you are a candidate for nepotism, you uh, like loyalty to family is basically that's your qualification. Yeah. If you're running a massive 350 million population democracy, mm-hmm. What you want are people who are qualified to do the position that they're in. Loyalty to family has nothing to do with that kind of thing. And that's why some people say you need nepotism because loyalty to family is still important. Right. You want to take another break? I think we should. So, Chuck, I said um, before the break that, like, family, loyalty to family, that's the heart of nepotism or the basis of nepotism, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And family is very much associated with nepotism. And the family is, if you look at the world and humanity from a sociological perspective, that is the smallest unit of community. Yes. There's the individual, but the individual doesn't represent a community. A family represents a community. And so basically throughout history, throughout time, all over the world, the family has been the basic unit of society. And then it just kind of builds from there, right? Yeah, you've got your family and then many families forms your tribe. Mm-hmm. Your tribe forms your community and then outward until you have 
you know, cities, counties, states, nations. Right, and it just gets more sophisticated from there. But you can reduce all of it, which is very reductive, back to the family, the the basic unit. And I think that's one reason why cults are so unpalatable for so many people who aren't in cults mm-hmm. because one of the main characteristics of cults is that they break apart families. The family unit does not exist in the cult. The cult itself is one big family so that these natural family units have been broken into their constituent pieces and reformed into part of this larger whole, which I think strikes some people as highly unnatural in like a really visceral way. Are you watching... Or have you watched Wild, Not Wild Country yet? Is it good? <laughs> oh, God. Is it good? It's bananas. I got to see it. I mean bananas. Is it straight up documentary? Straight up documentary. Oh, man. And I had never heard of this stuff. We're talking mm. about Wild Wild Country on Netflix, the six-part documentary series. But, you know, I won't I won't get into it. Okay. But it's – um. I, I, didn't, I, I had never heard of it. And it was such a big thing. I wondered how I'd never heard of it because it wasn't like – you know, the source family and Father Yod. Right. I mean, it was half a million people around the world. Yeah. It's bananas. That is bananas. I got to check it out. God, it's so good. I've been watching Black Mirror lately and... I haven't seen the new season yet. I've never seen it before in my life until like two days ago. And I'm like, where have you been, Black Mirror? Yeah, it'll put you in a dark frame of mind though. I'm usually there. (laughs) You're like, it's kind of been lightening me up. (laughs) I I actually, it's true. I've been working on existential risks, which has me like in the the gutter right now. So Black Mirror's a step up. It kind of is to tell you the truth. I'm like, well, this is kind of funny. That's funny. I actually, I saw the episode San Junipero. Did you see that one? Mm, I don't remember the names, but I saw The one where like it's in the afterlife and the two women like basically find each other Mm -hmm. in the end of their life and they they get to... um, Go spend eternity together having yeah. fun. It was really sweet. Yeah, that one was. That one was good. It's and like Twilight Zone every now and then had a heartwarming episode. Right. But I didn't realize that Black Mirror was our Twilight Zone. Yeah. No one told me. I what did no you idea. think it was? I don't know what I thought it was, but I didn't get it in that sense. Yeah. And once I did, I'm like, give me all this you, that you got. I yeah. want it all. It's pretty cool. All at once. So Confucius says, uh, and this one I didn't fully get. I, I think Ed's talking about the tensions throughout history between family loyalty and loyalty to the state mm-hmm. and how that played out in China uh, because Confucianism talks a lot about family loyalty. Um, but then communist China, uh, like Confucianism says nepotism can be a good thing, right? Right. But in communist China, that was all about meritocracy. Is that correct? Right. But then the the meritocracy got so uh, powerful that people had a tremendous amount of unchecked power, and they ended up just resorting to, to nepotism. Okay, that sort of makes sense now. So I think what Ed was saying, um, I had trouble with that too. It took me a few times. I think what he was saying is that is a great encapsulation of just the the – you know those desktop executive balls that click, click, click back and forth? <laughs> yeah. On one end, you got nepotism. On the other end, you got meritocracy. And they're just constantly going back and forth. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, you get a good mix right in the middle. Yeah. When, it's, when all the balls are settled, you get a nice mix of nepotism and meritocracy. But then when one ball's in the air and one side or the other, you got too much, and the, the system inevitably shifts toward the other direction. That's what I think it is. Yeah, and it seems like, too, when he's talking about the Roman Empire and stuff, like— Eventually, it's going to bite you in the butt 
if you just keep – it's almost incestual, mm-hmm. and sometimes it literally was. Mm-hmm. But if you keep promoting your own family, you're going to eventually promote the doofus who has no idea how to run an empire. Cousin Ken. Yeah, Ken. Yeah. Ken's in there destroying the Roman Empire from within because uh, he's a moron. Right. So um, if you get enough Cousin Kens yeah. throughout your empire, the empire collapses because you you need people who know what they're doing. And I think that's one reason why so many people are just totally up in arms about the idea of Jared Kushner having such like a first-rate job yeah. in the White House is they're like, oh, God, the whole the whole 250-year-old experiment's about to collapse because of this guy. That's probably not going to happen. Right. But the, the, these people recognize that the system is fragile. It's not made of steel. Yeah. And if you do that enough times, if that becomes the system, then the system does collapse. It's probably not going to collapse just on that first person, but it can given enough time and if it spreads out enough. And I think that's what people are really upset and scared about. Yeah, and you know who thinks the whole idea that nepotism is a bad thing is hysterical? Hmm. The monarchy. Right. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Yeah. That's what it's all about. Yeah. We have a whole system, a uh, very detailed system as to who was assigned the throne and the lineage. Right. So, uh, you know, get out of my face with that stuff. Yeah, there was a system of uh, primogenitor, which is the first— the firstborn son was the one who inherited everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had entitlements, like the title of the, the the father passed down to the son as well as part of the estate. Yeah, Estates were passed down intact. They went from the father to the son. The state didn't have anything to say about, yeah, give me some of that. Yeah. And if you listen to our trickle-down economics episode, you know that Joshonomics frowns on that kind of thing. That's right. Um and one of the one of the main points of the uh American the founding of America was to to get away from that. Yeah. To break up, like in the colonies, there like some of those landed estates in uh, Great Britain had made their way over to America. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons why there is such a thing as a death tax and the idea that the that your estate could be taxed and that there was no such thing as titles anymore, it was to get away from nepotism that was so rampant and that the UK had been built on. Yeah, I mean, Thomas Jefferson, he was one of the main dudes who kind of pushed for that, right? Yeah. Saying, let's break up these huge land estates that are just passed. And that's kind of one of the problems with nepotism is it can, it just sort of feeds that, um, feeds that thing that creates the 1%. Right. Which is uh, anyone of any minority population, good luck. Like you don't have a shot because you don't have the relatives in those positions to help you out. Yeah. You're never going to get ahead. I read this really, really great article from the Boston Review uh-huh. called uh, The Dream Hoarders. And it was it was saying like you, everybody targets the top 1% as the people who are like hoarding the American dream. Yeah. Actually, it's the top 20% that do it. And they do it through things like nepotism and cronyism. Like, right. hey, my kid it needs an internship. Can you can you hook him up for I the know. summer? And then some kid who's fr- whose dad isn't friends with the guy who runs the company doesn't get that. And so yeah. you perpetuate this. The, the top 20% get to kind of uh, get to keep going and become this elite group. Yeah. And th- what Adam Bellows was saying, I think, in this case, quite rightly, is that 
no matter whether it's a, a nepotistic one or a mer- meritocratic one, mm-hmm. you have an elite that forms. Yes. And that's like this crust that forms on whatever institution you have. And one breaks up the other. Nepotism breaks it up, which I think is what's going on with the Trump White House right now. It's breaking up the meritocratic elite. Yeah. And then eventually the meritocratic elite will be like, enough of this nepotism. We need to get that back. But you have an elite that forms and that's when the other side pushes in uh, and breaks it up. Yeah, but it's so tough. Like I said, I think we're all guilty of making that phone call, being like, you know, my cousin, let me let me make a call. Let me see what I can do. Right. This Boston Reader thing said, don't do that. If really? you really believe in, in merit, if you really believe in the meritocracy, don't do that. Like you are, so you are committing essentially a moral crime against a poor kid. I know, man. It's really tough to reckon with that mm-hmm. as uh, – uh, it's really tough to reckon with that because, like, my nieces and nephews, <clears throat> I would do anything to try and right. help them out. Right. Uh, and they are – they would earn it because they are great and smart. And it's not like, oh, he's a real screw-up, but uh, let me see if I can make a call. Yeah. But even if they are qualified, it disrupts the system and might keep – Someone who doesn't have that opportunity down, and right. it for sure does. And they, they, the nepotism has been called a, a form of discrimination. Yeah, you know, like if you, I would assume that most of your nieces and nephews are white, right? They have one hundred percent of them. Okay, are. well, I mean, if you have some adopted like people in no. your family, yeah, it might we, not we, we be. Don't. But for the most part, when people pick up that phone and make that call, uh-huh. they're actually helping out their own race, their yep. own ethnic group, yep. certainly their own socioeconomic class. And so it is a form of discrimination in that sense, too. It can also, and it was for a very long time, a form of sexism as well, sexist discrimination, because um, when whenever we had anti-nepotism laws, it was very frequently in the form of a no-spouse rule. Mm -hmm. So your spouse couldn't come work at the company. Well, usually the men were already in the company, so it kept women out of the workplace. Right. And then there's also, you know, you see examples of, I guess, what some people would call positive nepotism or cronyism. Mm -hmm. Um, Like in the film business, let's say, when, uh, uh, let's say there was a TV show where an African-American was running the show. Right. Um, which is a rarity these days, but they may, or like Spike Lee famously did for many years, you know, I'm going to hire black crew and give them an opportunity as much as I can. Right. And a lot of people would say, well, that's a form of positive nepotism or cronyism. Sure. Which is interesting. Right. And that's just a whole other kettle of fish. Sure. Right. Um, But it is still a form of cronyism and it is still a form of nepotism. I thought this one study was interesting. Uh, Granted, it was in the 80s. But 1989, there was a paper that found the child of a doctor has a 14% greater chance of being admitted into medical school than someone whose parents were not doctors, and that's after they controlled for variables. So that's called, you know, legacy admissions to universities, mm-hmm. things like that. That all just sort of reinforces that thing right. of, uh, again, usually like um, white people with a little more money. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting admitted into these universities and into these programs, not based on merit. And it's so funny, too, because there's so many people who consider themselves like liberal and progressive and all that, but they wouldn't hesitate to pick up the phone and support this entrenchment of this this ruling class or group that they're, you know, a part of. Right. And, and it, it, I mean, it's tough, like that, that tension you felt over that 
over the guilt of doing that and the guilt of not doing that, mm-hmm. that is the tension between meritocracy and nepotism right there in your heart. Yeah, like I can't imagine my niece, if I had an end to a company or whatever that she was interested in, saying like, I'm sorry, I believe in meritocracy. I'm not going to I'm not going to help you out. You could, though. <laughs> Such a hard life lesson. Yeah. You know? You could, but yes, yeah, she'd be like, I hate my uncle's guts. <laughs> you ruined my life, Uncle Chuck. Uh, I thought this was interesting, too, is when it comes to businesses, uh, there was a study that found that companies who promote CEOs based on family ties perform 14% worse mm-hmm. uh, in the ensuing years. Which is really interesting. Yeah, but I think that probably entails a lot of those worst case examples of um, nepotism where it's like, you're my son. You're a total screw up and right. all, all you want to do is get all Oscar Wilde with it, right? But you're going to be CEO now. Whereas if, if it were like a, a, a business owner who said, you're going to be CEO one day, go to school, learn this. Go work for one of our competitors, learn their thing. Right. And then you can come around and you got to work in this department, that department, this department, that department. And then eventually, once you gain the respect of everybody in the company and all right. of our customers, then you'll be ready to take over. That would probably lead to a good outcome for your company. Well, and Ed also points out that a lot of times the good outcomes come when your company is very idiosyncratic. Mm-hmm. If it's very specific um, – knowledge that you need to run this company. Like if you're a bank that only does business with goats, that's idiosyncratic. Yeah. If you're a goat bank, for sure, (laughs) then you might benefit as a company by handing the reins over to your son or daughter who uh, dealt a lot with with goat. Goat banking. Goat banking. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) You tried to find an idiosyncratic business. You can't find it. Well, I don't know. I think I was thinking like cobbler, but sure. Goat banking? Yeah, I guess cobbler would have worked too. <laughs> you got anything else? I don't think there is anything else. I think we kind of covered it mostly. Nepotism. If you want to learn more about it, you can type that word in the search bar at How Stuff Works, and it'll bring up this great article by The Grabster. Uh, and since I said Grabster, it's time for listener mail. I'm going to call this one uh, Answer About paramedics, private paramedics. Okay. And boy, a couple of things here. We really heard from a lot of paramedics. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of those folks are listening out there while they're driving around. Yeah. What else are you going to do? Well, yeah. Nothing. Uh, And we really heard from you, Utah. We put a call out to Utah. Yeah, I mean. About a show. We heard more from people from Utah than we did paramedics even. And there were a lot of paramedics in Utah. Yeah. That are listening. The trifecta. So Salt Lake City, we're we're gonna work it out for this year sometime. Yeah. We're it's on it's on the map, it's on the list, and because of proximity, Phoenix. Phoenix. We're we're gonna try and work it out for you because it's a hop, skip, and a jump. Yeah. Plane wise from Salt Lake City. Yes. So you guys win by proxy. That's right. So we're hoping to do those two cities later in the year. So stay tuned for that. And quit emailing us. Uh, All right. Hey, guys, just want to email you with information about private ambulances. My girlfriend and I have almost 20 years of experience in EMS, and she's currently attending paramedic school. There are two different types of private ambulances, uh, for-profit and non-profit. For-profit ambulances make a majority of their money from hospital discharges where they contract with area hospitals to take patients home or to a rehab facility. Uh, Contracts with nursing homes transport them to and from dialysis and medical appointments, and transport to and also from interfacility transfers. 
private ambulance company I worked for had a contract with a rural hospital to transport emergency patients to a larger hospital with more resources. That's like the feeder hospital. <laughs> I guess the farm so. team. Uh, private ambulances can also have contracts with the municipalities to provide private 911 services, provide paramedics uh, if the municipality operates on an EMT level, or to provide backup to the primary service. What? I think that kind of... You'll just listen to it in slow motion later. Okay, all right. And you'll get it. Uh, nonprofit private ambulances can be hospital-based or municipality-based and usually provide 911 emergency services. Very rarely do they do non-emergency medical transport. The fire department I volunteer on operates a nonprofit ambulance service, and all money made goes back to the operational costs. Woo! That is from Jay Haley. Thanks, Jay. Thanks to you and your girlfriend for... 20 years of EMT service between you guys. That's great. Um, did you ever hear the story about the guy who drove the cab who picked a woman up and um, found out that he was driving her to hospice and no. was basically took her on a tour of like her memory lane or something like that and drove her around for hours to like she was like turn that sounds here, familiar to see, now, like my actually. old house or something like that and just basically drove her around for hours, and then when they fi- when she was finally ready, took her to hospice and wouldn't take a dime from her. Yeah, I think I remember that, and I think I remember, like, weeping. Sure. It's a great story. Yeah. I didn't weep, but, you know. That's because you're dead inside. <laughs> uh, if you want to get in touch with us to tell us a great story, we love hearing great stories. You can tweet to us if it's a very, very short story. I'm at Josh Elm Clark. Chuck's at Movie Crush, and we're both at SYSK Podcast. You can join us both on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know or Chuck at Facebook.com slash Charles W. Chuck Bryant. Send us an email to StuffPodcast at HowStuffWorks. And as always, join us at our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 